HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Our master cheesemaker program is one of the only two in the world. So it's no wonder every master in America has called Wisconsin home. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. Hello, welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Akiko Tena, food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what is exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. My guest today is Takatsuku Amano, or Taka Amano, who is the co-founder and CEO of American Shochu Company based in Silver Spring, Maryland. Shochu is a traditional Japanese spirit, and it is more popular than Japanese sake in Japan. And if you compare sake and shochu, 4.2% of liquor tax comes from premium sake, whereas 14.8% comes from shochu, according to the Japanese government's data in 2019. But the number flips when it comes to overseas. In 2020, Japan exported about $212 million worth of premium sake, but only $10.6 million of shochu was brought outside the country, which was just uh, 5% of sake's export. It is a shame because shoji is delicious as artisanal and artisanal as premium sake. So that is why Taka decided to introduce the charm of shochu to American uh, to America by producing his own brand in 2015. And he makes 100% Bali shochu with his wife, Lynn Amano, in Maryland, and they have already won the 2020 American Craft Spirits Awards. So today we'll discuss why the successful biotech industry executive decided to produce the traditional Japanese spirit in America, how he studied shochu production techniques, how he produces his award-winning shochu with American ingredients in the climate of Maryland, why we should drink more shochu, and much, much more. 
But before we start, Japan Needs is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify, whichever you listen to, and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's start a conversation with Taka Amano. Hello, Taka-san. Welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, thanks for having me. This is exciting. So, first of all, where are you from and what did you eat when you grew up? <laughs> so, I was born in、uh, Tokyo, but、uh, my family is from Yokohama. And、uh, I, I have a, a varied childhood. I,、uh, I moved you know, from Yokohama to New York when I was four years old. And we were five years in New York and then two and a half years in LA. And then we went back to Japan for a stint.、Uh, and then I finished up high school in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, before coming、mm. over here to the States. So, yeah, what did I eat? I had, I mean, first of all, I ate standard Japanese fare that my mother would make at home.、Um, I also was very much,、uh, you know, hot dogs. In Manhattan, kind of kid.、Uh, and then I learned、um, some of the varied cuisines in Malaysia and、uh, had a great time there. So, varied things that I ate growing up.、Mm. Wow. It's like that's almost the most diverse diet I've ever heard of as a、yeah. child. <laughs>、hey. so, uh, so, you are basically you are a New Yorker too, but when and why did you decide to move to New York? So, the first time around, my father was in international trade and the family came with him to New York. But then when he went back to Japan,、uh, we of course went with him and I went to. Uh, boys' prep school in Japan and then went to Malaysia.、Uh, I actually sat for the university exams, Tokyo University exams, like every other kid、uh, in Japan、uh, at the end of my high school career. Didn't get in, <laughs> and I ended up、uh, coming to the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill.、Mm. Um, and I've stayed since. Wow. Okay. So, right.、Um, well, That was a lucky thing, I think. <laughs> right. For us, anyways. Right. My, my father would say that、uh, the timing was always perfect for me. <laughs> <laughs> right.、Uh, so, what was your career before you started your own distillery in 2015? Right. So, for most of my、uh, working career, I have had a consulting business helping American and Japanese companies work together in various forms. Um, towards the,、uh, in the most recent years, that has evolved into a consultancy where I uh, was uh, helping US companies go into the Japanese market and uh, running uh, subsidiaries for them. So I was the president of the Japanese subsidiary for a couple of biotech,、uh, US biotech companies in, with Tokyo offices、uh, for 10 years. 10 years I traveled to Japan. Every month from、uh, Silverstone, Maryland.、Mm, wow. That is a commitment. Hi. <laughs> <Right> . <laughs>、um, okay. And then, what is, was the process of opening?、Um, well, actually, first of all, why did you decide to start a shochu distillery in Maryland? Right. So, shochu has always、uh, I, had been my drink of choice、uh, when I'm in Japan. 
when I when when I'm in the States, I'm more of a whiskey or bourbon kind of person. But uh, when I'm in Japan and on business, uh, shochu shochu on the rocks was always my drink. And um, seeing that there was almost zero awareness or distribution of shochu in the United States, and right around you know 17, 18 years ago when there was a big shochu boom in Japan. Uh, and we heard that there was a that that the Japanese had run out of sweet potatoes uh, because they were making so much shochu. I was in North Carolina at the time, and the number one agricultural crop in North Carolina happens to be sweet potatoes. And so I looked around and I thought, well, you know, we have sweet potatoes here, and we could send sweet potatoes to Japan, but that's not that interesting but making shochu here would be. So that was the germ, the original uh, idea. Um, but then later on, uh, as I was uh, working as, uh, and, and basically what we were doing is we were working in distribution, uh, product distribution, sales and distribution, uh, biotechnology products in the Japanese market. What that meant was I would travel all around Japan um, talking to distributor uh presidents and uh, owners and did a lot of uh, meetings, a lot of uh, uh, dinners, you know, um, uh, quite a bit of shochu and uh, ultimately uh, saw an opportunity in 2015 to uh, try to bring it over to the United States and uh, start a distillery here. Mm, wow. Well, you liking shochu to making shochu just take a huge <laughs> jump. So you must have really um, some passionate feeling about shochu. So, but what was the process of opening craft shochu distillery in the U.S.? Do you have a lot of uh, to go through, uh, legal and administrative steps to go through? Right. So as you might know, starting a distillery in the United States is not a simple process in general. You know, there's a lot of laws. Um, Specifically, you can't own a still, a distilling still, until you have a, a distillery license. You can't have a distillery license until you have a distillery location that the TTB has approved and uh, that you've bonded. Um, now, in most cases, if you're starting a gin distillery or a whiskey distillery, you pretty much know what the process is, what you need, what the equipment is that you need. Um, because it's been done before, and you, you can go visit a distillery. Um, in our case, I, I had visited many uh, shochu distilleries in Japan, um, but there, none of that exists here. The equipment doesn't exist here in the same way that it is in Japan. Um, there's nobody to go see their process, uh, and the TTB was barely aware of shochu as a alcoholic product. So we actually had to have some discussions with the, T so TTB is Alcohol, Tobacco and Trade Bureau. They regulate uh, alcohol sales and distribution in the US uh, federal government. And um, we had a discussion about where shochu actually sits in the TTB uh, list of alcohols and what it means to start a shochu distillery, you know, went through the whole process of describing the process and getting it approved. Um, yeah, uh, it, it was quite interesting going through all of those. <laughs> interesting, or now you can say that on reflection, <laughs> but I'm sure it was very hard. But uh, I mean, so go ahead. 
Yeah, I was going to say that the TTV um, I found to be very helpful and um, uh, accommodating in uh, work. And, and maybe it was the specific uh, individuals that I encountered, but I, I felt that I was very lucky in being able to work with people that were open to the idea and uh, helped us through the process. Mm, that's very nice. Uh, yeah, let's try to promote some craft uh, business. Right, I think that's the motivation behind their support. Yeah, I, I think the TTB has been um, quite uh, helpful in general in the craft spirit space, uh, mm. especially in recent years. Right, but um, I mean, quickly going back to you know, you you wanted to make shoju, but you knew that you have to go through the kind of a lot of red tapes and a lot of you know physical work and paperwork. But you had that passion like you knew you can make good uh shochu or you can uh, you know there's a f- uh, phrase like you know before you cross the bridge <laughs> you just you know hammer the bridge so that it's not gonna fall but right. is that kind of your personality or you just pass it and then oh i didn't know that they passed it that kind of thing you know i certainly uh had a i guess a, a passion to do this. And I, I felt that the challenge of uh, being the first shochu distillery in the United States was quite appealing. Um, mm. We did not know at all whether or not we would be able to come up with a good pro- product or not. As a matter of fact, my original plan was to uh, hire a distiller or a toji from Japan to come for a limited amount of time to help us start the process. But I um, did think that maybe I could try. Uh, I, I'm, I've always been a uh, crafty and artistic kind of person. So I thought I would give it a try. And uh, as it turned out, what we came up with uh, turned out to be actually uh, quite good. Mm. And I ended up taking it back to some people in Japan to kind of get them to vet it and was told that it was uh, that it would work. So that we ended up using our own process. Mm, wow. So you didn't realize your talent. Right. <laughs> 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 um, well, well, we'll get into your shochu in a moment, but uh, the first, what is that charm, the source of your passion of shochu for you personally? Like why, why should we drink shochu? Right. So, so I, I, I said earlier that uh, I'm a bourbon and whiskey kind of person. And so I, I like my alcohols. I don't drink a lot, but I like quality spirits. And um, shochu uh, has, you know, it, it fills that space in Japan. It's not; it's a distilled spirit. It's not a fermented spirit like sake. Um, uh, and and it's not that I don't like sake. I, I, I like my fair share of good uh, nihonshu, seishu, uh, sake in Japan, but. Shochu has its uh, unique character. You know, you can drink it on the rocks. Uh, you can drink it in a variety of forms. Um, and it reflects the both the personality of the distillery and the, uh, the you know, the regional, the terroir, if you will, of uh, where it's made um, very nicely. And so I've always thought that it was, and, and it's very culturally uh, unique, right? It's very, it's a very Japanese thing, and so it it, it had that uh, 
great appeal, you know, as being a Japanese, uh, Japanese citizen myself, living overseas all this all these years. Um, there was a, was a, uh, a special drive to be able to introduce that, you know, to my friends here. Mm, right. Hundred percent, I agree. And uh, and as I said in the introduction, shochu is very popular in Japan now. But it used to be uh, used to carry like an image of working class blue color drink. So, could you tell us what happened to shochu to become such a popular alcohol nowadays? Right, right. So I, I actually like to explain that I think that there's a lot of similarities between shochu and how it has evolved and how tequila. Has evolved in the United States. So you know, when when I was young in school, tequila were, came in yellow and gold or silver and gold. None of it was particularly great. So you would you know do shots with lime and salt, and uh, that's how you did tequila. Why did you do that? Because you couldn't sit sip that stuff, right? It wasn't <laughs> it wasn't a sipping <laughs> drink. Um, we didn't we don't shoot shochu necessarily, but shochu also had that. Reputation and kind of positioning of a blue collar um, working class drink. And, uh, but then, as happened in tequila, where I guess first, uh, you know, Jimmy Buffett came along and sold a lot of margaritas and it got into Mexican restaurants and, you know, the Eagles helped tequila sunrises and suddenly it became a popular thing. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Sammy Hagar came along with uh, Cabo Wabo, uh, high-end tequila. Patron certainly came out with their ultra-premium tequilas. And suddenly it became a high-end thing. Uh, with And it, now you can go to uh, tequila bars where they have high-end uh, tequilas, uh, and that's all they have. Well, Shochu, I mentioned uh, 17, 18 years ago, there was a big boom. A lot of what happened then was people discovered that shochu works nicely in cocktails or in, uh, you know, uh, mixed with things like sodas, juices. And uh, in Japan, we call those chuhai, but uh, there was a big chuhai boom. And uh, a lot of younger people, especially, started drinking a lot of shochu. Um, and, and so I think there's a lot of similarities to making, making a margarita or a tequila sunrise from uh, tequila and making a chuhai or a shochu cocktail from shochu. And then as it was selling well, the distillery started coming out with higher end products. And uh, that became a thing. And you can go to shochu bars in Japan now where it, the menu is all different kinds of shochu from all around the country. And you can try different uh, uh, versions. So but I, I think that there was a very a kind of similar uh, evolution there. Hmm. Interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. And, uh, it's amazing. Like, uh, you know, tequila used to be, uh, really like affordable price. And if you go to like Ricard stores, it could be over a hundred dollars easy. So many brands right. and which is great. And it should happen in, in about shochu too, because it's such a precious industry. I mean, the tradition, but because of the traditional production system, um, or method, the number of the the distilleries are declining quickly too. So right. yeah, yeah. I hope that you are going to educate uh, the consumer market in America and people started to appreciate um, shochu. I hope right. it's going to happen soon. 
Yeah. Okay. And uh, so um, the but the popularity of Japanese sake, uh, even though there was dramatically surged in last decades in Japan, why do you think shochu has not caught on in this country yet? You know, I, I think that part of the success of shochu in Japan was uh, primarily some of the very big shochu companies that we have there. You know, Ichiko and uh, Kirishima are a couple of the very largest, and they do 500, 600, 700 million dollars US in revenue a year in Japan or, or in their companies. Um, and, and what we know in Japan is that those companies are very good at marketing uh, and sales of the product. Um, we, in, in Japanese business, we talk about uh, kind of their skill at uh, bringing the product to the market. I think some of what happened was those same methods that were used in Japan got brought over here to the United States. But as you, you, you know, I can go, uh, the same methods don't necessarily work in the United States. And I mm. think that a lot of what I observe is that kind of thing. So, you know, I'm Japanese, so I appreciate what they do in Japan. Um, and I, I recognize, I understand what they're doing. I also understand American business. And so I think that there was a big gap um, so mm. far in promoting shochu here. Right. Interesting. And I heard that, you know, the couple um, occasions, like 70s, 80s, and 2003, uh, when shochu became some keywords, gradually, uh, you know, upgrading itself. And it was based on the national media. Like some famous person said, the Kishima, it was a great shochu and everybody started by it. And that's kind of very easy um, manipulative market when I describe uh, Japanese consumers market. And I mean, it's, it could be good or bad. But also I think, you know, izakaya in Japan, if you go to Japanese izakaya, there's so many shochu, like cocktails, highballs at very reasonable price. So there's an outlet to be able to try a diverse taste of shochu. So that's not available here, at least right. yet. Right. right. So anyway, so but you produce shochu in Maryland. So how it how much is shochu known by the local community in Maryland? So, you know. Of course, we're in Maryland, and then, uh, you know, my, my company is based in Silver Spring, but our distillery is actually in Frederick, Maryland, which is a little bit north of uh, the Silver Spring, Montgomery County area, and a little bit more rural. Uh, it's up towards the mountains. Um, and, and, and so it's very, you know, uh, in, in many ways, rural America. Um, and so that was where we chose to start the Shochu Distillery. This is really kind of in some way, uh, partially because of uh, where we were able to place the location. Frederick County is very um, open and uh, receptive to breweries and distilleries, and they have been very helpful in, uh, our, in, in, in us getting started. Um, but there was also a thinking on my part that I wanted to do this splat in the middle of America, you know, not in California or New York, where there might be a bit of receptivity to shochu, relatively speaking, but to try to do it where I'm not selling to just the Japanese or the Japanese friendly, but to, 
you know, Americans in general. Um, and what we ended up doing was therefore figuring out how to sell to our neighbors. So my first outlet in Frederick was at the Frederick uh, Greater Great Frederick County Fair. And so it's an agricultural fair, right? It's it's we we were in the building with the other uh, craft spirits next to the uh, rabbit uh, building, I think it was, and um, people would come in uh, looking for beer, and what? And they would walk by my booth, and I would call them down. I'd say, "Hey, come try my shochu," and they would say, "What is that?" <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> And, and we learned how to talk about shochu and how to present uh, shochu to that market um, and figured out what people liked. And uh, but so now what has happened is, uh, so I, I'm, Silver Spring is in Montgomery County, Maryland. And Montgomery County is a very unique place uh, in the alcohol business. It's one of the very few places in the country where the local county government still controls uh, alcohol distribution. So all alcohol in Montgomery County goes through the county um, and therefore has a reputation for being a hard market to work in. Um, but it's also a relatively uh, affluent, or at least parts of it are an affluent market. Um, we ended up uh, getting our product placed into all 20, at the time, 25 Montgomery County liquor stores. Um, I think we were probably... Uh, one of the first uh, Maryland craft spirits to do that. But then um, at, after a year of being in the stores, we ended up being the top selling Maryland made brand of alcohol in the Montgomery County liquor stores in uh, 2019. And wow. uh, we were flabbergasted. It's like, wow. But I think what happened was the way that we were selling, which was really direct to customer. We were selling at the fairs, we were selling at um, craft spirits events, and especially farmers markets. We did a lot of farmers markets. And so we would talk to people one-on-one -on -one and introduce the product to them. And I think mm. that that was how we got the word out. You know, the fact that we were number one in the Montgomery County liquor stores means that people are going back into the liquor stores to buy our product, right? So right. it, it's not just that people were buying it because I was there and selling it to them, um, but they were actually going back to buy their second bottles. So mm. and and so that that showed us that uh, you know during especially during 2019 we had um, started building up uh, uh, you know a pretty good um, uh, fan base. Mm, but I'm super curious when you introduced, uh, you know, like farmer's market, it's, mm -hmm. it's very, very like most American thing. But then how did you introduce shochu? Or did you right. use the word shochu or it's like a traditional Japanese or it's just completely out of this is a new spirit? Right, right. So, so I, I did promote it as a new American, the, the new American spirit. Um, but, you know, what does that mean, right? <laughs> uh, when, as I uh, mentioned, I started out saying, hey, come try my shochu. And people would say, what is that? <laughs> I don't know what that is. I eventually learned not to lead with that. I uh, learned to lead with, come try the smoothest drink you've ever tried. Mm. And people would say, what? What did you just say? I said, come try the smoothest drink you've ever tried. They say, well, that's a big claim. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so here, try a sample. Um, so before COVID, we were able to uh, give out samples. So I would provide samples. And, and what I did was I was giving samples of a mixed cocktail. I would mix it with, you know, a soda or a juice um, and eventually figured out which uh, flavors were the most popular. But so people would drink it and uh, they would try it and they would say, wow, that is smooth. Um, does that have alcohol in it? I would often be asked. And I was mixing one part shochu to three parts uh, mixer. So that makes a 6% alcohol drink. So I would tell them, that's a 6% alcohol drink, you know, kind of like a strong beer. And then people would say, well, that's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so that is how we, I think, got the word out and got people mm. to try it. Right. Well, it really proves how the taste was outstanding. So, yeah, that is amazing. Um, all right, we're going to get into the products in a moment, but uh, we'll take a quick break here. And so when we come back, we will discuss Taka's award-winning shochu and challenges she faces in making it in America. So please stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. In Wisconsin, cheese is our thing. Wisconsin is the only state in the country that requires a license to make cheese. From curds to cheddar, blue to brick, Wisconsin cheesemakers can do it all. We blend tradition with innovation to create an incredible variety of cheeses that you just can't get anywhere else. You've heard of a PhD, but have you heard of a PH cheese? otherwise known as the Wisconsin Master Cheesemaker Program. This rigorous study of cheese is an elite accomplishment earned by only 80 talented cheesemakers in Wisconsin, and the program is only one of two in the world. Becoming a master cheesemaker takes 13 years and is basically like a doctorate in a specific variety of cheese with intense requirements to succeed. Our Master Cheesemaker Program allows makers to perfect both the art and science of their craft in a tradition so rich you can taste it. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, and my guest today is Takatsugu Amano, who is the co-founder and CEO of an American shochu company based in Silver Spring, Maryland. So let's talk about your shochu. So what is your philosophy of shochu production? Right. So there were a couple of things. We wanted, if we were going to do this, and we were doing this crazy thing to start a new uh, distillery and, um, you know, a shochu distillery at that in the United States. So my wife and I said, well, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. Um, and what does that right mean? Well, let's try to make something that would be exactly what we would want to drink. Um, and what that meant was, first of all, we used 100% organic barley. Um, you know, Shochu only has four things in it. It has barley, koji, yeast, and water. So the water. Water was interesting. Um, water is often a, a key uh ingredient. But in our case, what I decided was to use reverse osmosis filtered water. And what that mm. does is it takes the water factor out of the uh, product. In other, or to put it a different way, 
it makes it so that I could make it anywhere and it would be the same because I'm using reverse osmosis filtered water. So that's what we did. Um, and, and of course it uh, has a certain, you know, it's a certain kind of pure uh, uh, water quality that we can guarantee. So our product is 100% organic barley and uh, reverse osmosis filtered water. And then the koji and the yeast we imported from Japan. And uh, we, we do everything immaculately. You know, right now we're very small craft. Uh, so everything is handmade and, uh, uh, you know, we have full control over the whole process. Um, Mm, right. But um, how did you study uh, how to make shoju? Because I, I, I heard that you visited a lot of distilleries, but right. it's, it's not <laughs> so easy, right? So um, there's a lot of different uh, variations out there in the world when you start looking into how to make shoju. And there's some contradictory information also. I decided to go to the source, which uh, in this case, there is a Japan brewery association, a brewing association, Nihon Jozo Kyokai. And um, they're, they're in Tokyo. And I went to visit them. And it turns out that they have, they have published a textbook of uh, um, the methodology of uh, Honkak Shochu uh, production. Um, Honkak shochu being authentic shochu production. I asked to buy the book and this was a very interesting conversation. At first they said, you know, we don't sell that book to just anybody. Who are you? <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so I had to go through explaining, you know, I'm president of that, I'm actually a president of a uh, company in Tokyo. My father is such and such. I had to go through my bona fides and uh, convince them that I was a legitimate person trying to do what I'm trying to do. Um, now, I have interacted with the association and in particular, uh, Dr. Okazaki, who's the chair, uh, chairman of the organization. Um, and they've been very friendly and helpful to us over the years. Uh, but so it was a combination of, now, you know, so there, it's a textbook. Of course, the devil's in the details. <laughs> uh, there's a basic process, but then we had to figure out actually how exactly that works and how we can make it um, operational. But that, so that's how we came up with the process. I, I put in phone calls to the Brewing Society. There are people on staff there that are highly experienced that I was able to tap some of their knowledge. Uh, but ultimately, there was um, uh, you know, um, trial and error that we did until we came up with a workable process. Mm, I'm sure like millions of, <laughs> because we've never done it before in America. So, <laughs> right. Right. But the equipment, why did you uh, import the equipment or you just came up with something to replace? So, so first of all, I have to um, explain. We're still currently in a very tiny incubator space. So we're in the uh, incubator in Frederick. It's called uh, Frederick Innovative Technology Center Incorporated, FITSI uh, for short. Um, and we're in a tiny room. Uh, and so I needed to find a still that I could use in that space and that I could, you know, do experimentation. In. Um, I actually went to visit Dogfish Head, uh, 
in Delaware. Uh, and they were just at the time that I went to visit, um, they were just starting to get into the distilling side of their business. And my so wife Dukfish is a beer, craft beer company, right? Right, right. They're, right. they're a craft beer company. They recently uh, merged with uh, Samuel Adams. Um, but mm. they, they have a fantastic, they've always had fantastic products. We, my wife and I have been big fans. And so we went to visit on vacation. Uh, but we went on a um, kind of a detailed uh, tour of their facilities. And one of the places that they took us to was a new distillery that they were starting to build. But as we're talking to our tour guide, come to find out that they started their distilling experimentation in the back of their restaurant in Rehoboth Beach. And he actually, in the tour, they took us to go meet the distiller. And so I, and, and we go there and they have a still there. And so I talked to the distiller. I said, I explained what I was doing. I'm starting trying to start a shochu distillery and I'd love to be able to purchase your still. She said to me, I'm not going to sell you the still. I'm not going to sell you the still. I, we're still using it. But what are you doing? You know what? And and she gave me um, a suggestion of which still that I should uh, use. I looked it up and ordered one, and that's how we came up with our original still. Um, so it, it's just a still off the shelf, uh, you know, available over the internet that we started with. Mm, right, interesting. Wow. So really you're doing something from <laughs> scratch. Very impressive. Right. right. Um, so how do you describe the style of your shochu? Do you call it uh, traditional, authentic? Or... Right. So it, it's definitely a honkaku uh, mugi shochu. So it's it's an authentic uh, barley shochu. Um, and and I, I will say that I was uh, worried that there might be some reasons why we wouldn't be considered to be an authentic shochu. So when I, I took it back to the uh, Japan Bruins Association and um, asked the chairman and his board to first taste it, and we talked about our process, and uh, they, they have confirmed for me on a couple of occasions, it's like, yes, no, Amana-san, uh, this is definitely uh, Honkak shochu, and you have a good shochu. They, they said to me, please sell it in America because we don't sell a lot of shochu in America. <laughs> mm. uh, nice. So, but, you know, uh, you said that originally you had the idea of making a potato shochu, but you are producing 100% Bali shochu. So right. why Bali? Right. So, you know, I'm in Maryland and Maryland has a, um, you know, a, a culture or a history of rye whiskeys. Uh, especially, and uh, also barley has traditionally been grown here to some extent. And so I thought if I'm doing it in Maryland, um, we're not near the uh, sweet potato um, source. That would be more like North Carolina. So let's start with barley. And and the other thing was, even in Japan, uh, mugi is kind of the introductory shochu. So my first idea with my very first product on the market was to come up with something that was um, easily accepted, you know, that I like that would be easier for the most widest uh, number of people to be comfortable with, to be able to accept. And that, even in Japan, I think people would agree, would be uh, barley shochu. Mm. One thing I wanted to mention too, um, when I say 100% barley shochu, uh, I really mean 100% barley. 
and and what I'm one part of what I'm saying there is we actually use barley koji, not rice koji. A lot mm. of shochu are made with rice koji, and the main mash is the barley or the sweet potato. But uh, in our case, we make our koji with barley and also make the mash with barley. Mm. Right. So for listeners who are familiar with the difference between rice uh, koji and barley koji, so koji is a mold, and it has to grow on something to um, grow more, release more enzyme to break down all the good stuff into uh, sugar and alcohol eventually. So if it's barley, a lot of things in Japan, fermented food and drinks, it's based on rice koji. Uh, koji grown on rice and applied to uh, all the other ingredients. But you do barley, uh, koji grown on barley. So it's like a more barley, pure flavor, right? What it really does is um, rice koji or shochu made with rice koji has some of that rice characteristic. And so it tends to be sweeter, um, you know, much like sake is, uh, the driest sake is still pretty sweet. Um, mm. because the rice character comes through. And in our case with the barley, koji barley shochu, uh, we're able to make a more drier product. Mm, right. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, that's a very, um, very detailed and very interesting. It's just, I, I love that idea. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know how many shochu producers do that even, like Bali. Bali is a smaller portion of the whole production anyway. Right, right. So, uh, Bali, right. Bali shochu, they, they, they definitely exist, but it's not, the majority is uh, rice koji with barley shochu. Mm, right. Okay. And uh, so let's talk about, you have two products, so let's talk about them. So one is umai. Umai is delicious, <laughs> like the name. And the other one is Roy's Demon. So right. could you tell us about each product? Right. So umai was our original product. And again, uh, we wanted to make a product that was, you know, ultra smooth uh, and uh, easy to drink. And the image that I had was like an ichiko. Right. Ichigo is a very easy to drink and very uh, popular uh, drink. And um, so that was kind of what I benchmarked when we made Umai. Mm. So um, this is like Ichigo is like really one of the biggest brands of shochu. Right. And it's like it's any price range and it's very affordable, like popular one. Right. right. So, right. Okay. So, and so that was our Umai. And Umai, we make it at 24% alcohol, 48 proof. Uh, like, uh, which is very standard in the United States for shochu uh, brought over here. Um, Roy's Demon was, uh, kind of came out of two things. It was my desire to come out with that particular product. And also um, bartenders and mixologists were asking for a product like that. And what it is, is it's a 40% alcohol product. It's 80 proof, more like a whiskey. Um, and of course, uh, if you were to buy a bottle of Roy's Demon and uh, look on the label, you would see the story of it. Which So Roy is my father, uh, was called Roy. His name was Ryuichiro Amano, uh, but that was a big mouthful of a name when he was a salesperson in New York City um, back in the 70s. And uh, so everybody called him Roy. Um, he was a sales guy uh, 
you know, Japanese sales guy in the United States back when, you know, that was a relatively rare thing. He was six foot tall, uh, spoke eight languages, he's a formidable guy, but he was also had a Japanese sensibility. He was maybe a little shy. And as a salesperson, what he used to do was he would fold these origami uh, demon masks um, <laughs> out of a scrap of paper, and he would hand them to his customers as an icebreaker. Got to be, uh, be known for those. Everybody knew Roy's uh, demon masks. And so that is the inspiration for Roy's demon. He was also, mm. my dad was also a whiskey drinker, you know, much like many Japanese business people men. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, and so this, this was my tribute to my dad. Mm. I thought it was a scary origin, but it's such a sweet origin of the name. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but, By the way, so, that, mm. the label for Roy's Demon, my son uh, designed it for me. He, he has an art degree from Towson University. And so... You know, this is actually three generations of uh, Amato men in this bottle. Right. Wow. The, so the a... label won uh, gold first prize in uh, the uh, inaugural um, American Craft Spirits uh, uh, Packaging Awards. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Hey, um, okay. And then uh, it's a, uh, is it colored? Is it like a barrel issue or just a hundred percent? It's just a pure. It's not barrel aged. Um, it is uh, straight. Uh, it, it's a different blend of our shochu genshu of our, um, you know, so we distill in batches and I blend uh, different runs to come up with the particular product that we're looking for. And mm. so that's, that's what we're, it turned, it comes out to be a slight, uh, amberish color, a very light, faint color, um, but it's still a clearer shochu product. Mm, right. Interesting. So that's why, you know, instead of drinking uh, whiskey, there is a uniqueness of drinking this um, with 80 proof. So right. that's amazing. Yeah. And then you co-founded your distillery with your wife, Lynn Amano, who has a background as a trained scientist. So how did you guys meet and uh, who's in charge of what at the distillery? <laughs> right. So Lynn, Lynn got a PS Biology uh, from UNC Chapel Hill. And uh, we, we actually met at college. We met in the uh, cafeteria in, in Lenore Hall in the UNC Chin campus. Um, she so the funny story about the scientist part is I, I got the process going and figured out how to come up with a prototype product and Lynn came in to help me with production um, and so the first thing she does coming in she she's a trained scientist she's worked uh, as a production manager in uh, scientific labs and um, so she says where's your SOP and I said to her what's an SOP I was joking I my, my first job before I started consulting uh, out of college was um, a part of my work was writing SOPs for an engineering department. But uh, nonetheless, I said, you know, I put a little bit of this and I do a little bit of that. She says, she says no, 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 no. <laughs> you, you have to write the stuff down. You have to uh, put it in an SOP. And we did that. And I kid you not, our yield went up 20% after she made me do that. 
<laughs> so, uh, so definitely that is um, was was a huge contribution of hers. Now, it, she um, has a background outside of uh, her BS science uh, biology background. She has gone on to be doing work in politics and political management. And, you know, full-time, that's what she does. She, she works in uh, uh, providing um, resources to the homeless people in Washington, D.C. Uh, as an advocate. Um, mm. Mm. Wow. So a lot of things, a lot of elements in this business. <laughs> right. Okay. So what is the most challenging part of making a shochu for you and Lynn? Right, right. So, I, you know, we had had a certain amount of success with the product and, um, you know, had had we were starting on an upward curve of uh, people buying our product. But then COVID hit. And the timing was we were just starting, we were just about to launch a full uh, fundraising campaign at the beginning of 2020. And of course, we were going to launch it in February 2020, and everybody knows what happened in February in 2020. So that did not happen. But we are currently um, in the midst of uh, doing that uh, fundraising run and looking to raise significant funds to put together a full distillery. So move out of our incubator space and uh, get into production to be able to cover the uh, Mid-Atlantic area. So the biggest challenge for us right now is uh, uh, pl- pulling those resources, getting the funding. Mm, right. Well, hopefully the economy seems to be really doing well. So hopefully, hopefully uh, it's going to be happening very soon. Right, right. Uh, and shochu is made in warmer regions in Japan. So uh, considering, uh, you know, the Japanese climate, and is Maryland suited to produce shochu? You know, it's interesting. Um, up to this point, I've been operating in a temperature-controlled space, so it hasn't affected the process so much. Um, but I, I think that if we, when we get into bigger space and if it's not an air-conditioned, air-conditioned-controlled uh, space, which it probably will be because we can, uh, ha- we can do those in a like a warehouse uh, space, but if it's not, if it turns out to be an outdoor, you know, inside a barn kind of uh, situation, I think that we can manage the temperature with, um, you know, with uh, heating systems. And what's interesting in this process though, the uh, it's not just temperature that affects things. We found that um, the, Koji fermentation process slows down in the wintertime, even though the temperature is the same. No, because again, it's air conditioned or, you know, it's a temperature controlled environment that we're in. And so there are evidently other elements, you know, whether it's uh, barometric pressure or uh, whatever else might be affecting things that uh, change in the process. You know, it's it's a biological process. So it's a living process and you have to uh, watch uh, and look at the data and, uh, adjust as is needed. Mm, right. But I heard that Maryland has uh, hot, humid summers. Mm-hmm. And, right, so it's not completely out of the whole standard climate. 
Right, sounds right, like. right. It, it's not quite Kyushu, but it it's not Tokyo either. Maryland. <laughs> mm, right. Well, in Shoju, I think uh, it, the whole history of Shoju started like, I think, at least like 15th century, but it was right. before refrigeration and any electricity. So, right. yeah, right. I think in theory it can be made anywhere nowadays. Right. So, uh, so what is the most rewarding and intriguing part of making Shoju for you? So, you know, when we came out with our products, we didn't we didn't know until we tried what it was going to be like. And it turns out that we were able to come out with some versions that are uh, in some ways quite unique. You know, they're very smooth, but they have a unique uh, uh, flavor and smell profile to them. Um, even uh, Dr. Okazaki commented that the, especially with our voice demon, that there was a very unique barley character that was coming out that he hoped that we would be able to um, continue to replicate and retain. So uh, it turns out that we were able to come up with something that is definitely shochu and yet definitely unique. And I think that that is, uh, was very um, satisfying. And, uh, and, and we have some ideas of things to do in the future that I think uh, I'm greatly looking forward to uh, pursuing. Mm, right. So, um, and we have started to see more shochu distilleries in America uh, recently. So how do you predict the future of shochu production and its popularity in this country? You know, I think that we're in a phase uh, that is still very early on in introducing and promoting the uh, shochu category. United States. I would love to work with um, other distilleries and, and probably especially um, the Japanese distilleries that are trying to uh, come out here to provide a coherent um, vision of what shochu is uh, in the United States. And at the same time, what we're doing is both using an authentic process, but also unique to you know, to America. And so I think all of those things together, we, you know, we, we would hope to be able to uh, increase the popularity. Mm, right. Just like the, that's the path and uh, trajectory of sake, right? The premium sake. Right. It's a more the merry kind of like the market idea. So more vendors Together, and then people started to be aware of it and enjoy. And then within the healthy competition of the community of producers, I think it's going to be a great thing. We see a really bright future because I think shoju is so, so interesting and diverse and unique and a very artisanal. So, right. Right. yeah, like and, a terroir and, based. And as you probably, I'm sure, know, um, Jetro, the Japanese government and Jetro in particular have been quite focused on uh, helping promote shochu um, overseas and in the United States. And I've, I've been in communication with them uh, pretty closely the last couple of years. Uh, and so I think that as we go forward, we can continue to work closely together and you know, with kind of the guidance and uh, direction of you know, organizations like Jetro also uh, to, to Give this a concerted effort. Mm. You know, being here in uh, Washington, D.C., I have access to the embassy, the Japanese embassy. And 
there's some uh, staff members there that are also very uh, dedicated to helping with uh, promoting Japanese foods and, and particular shochu. So as COVID opens up and we start getting back into things, I think that we'll be able to do some good activities to, to promote the, uh, mm. the product and the popularity. Right. Well, your product, the quality of your product is really proven to be so good that, yeah, it's, it's great. You are presenting a model of good spirit called shochu to this country. So that's exciting. So what are your plans and dreams? So right now we're looking to expand into a probably a 10 to 15,000 square foot space to get into a full production mode. And uh, we're raising enough capital that hopefully we'll be able to do a full-scale launch into the Mid-Atlantic area. Um, and then beyond that, you know, that that's kind of our uh, initial real foray into the marketplace and then planning to expand uh, to the rest of the U.S. and also overseas. Um, I actually have had interest to kind of reverse export back to Japan. You know, there's mm. uh, quite a bit of interest over in Japan for a product. You know, it's a unique product, right? It's the only American shochu. Um, but uh, so we would like to do some of those things. And then mm. in terms of the product, uh, one of the things I think that would be kind of uh, foremost on my mind is to develop another line of products. Well, so first of all, we're, we're planning to do the expansion with uh, shochu cocktails. So, you know, canned cocktails uh, as part of our product line and figuring that that will be a great way to introduce the product, um, you know, in uh, remotely to mm. new customers. Right. Um, well, the canned cocktails in Japan, it's just everywhere. Right. So right. It's, it's really, yeah. And it's, right. it's not the cheap kind of, you know, canned soda or anything. It's really a viable right. <laughs> way right. to taste the products easily. Uh, High-end shochu cocktails has been something that the industry in Japan, the distilleries in Japan have been trying to promote. So I, I think uh, it's a very similar thing that we're planning to do here. You know, we, we have some uh, visibility into what kind of cocktails people like here. And so the plan is to put those into cans and put it out there. But then I would also like to come out with some new shochu products. So, you know, we don't have the same, well, the exact same regulations that distillers in Japan have. Um, so we can do certain things that you might not do in Japan. You know, you know it's interesting. Um, they have not uh, licensed the new shochu distillery in Japan for many, many years. Uh, I, I think they don't want to allow additional um, competition beyond what's already there. So, you know, somebody pointed out to me, I am the first first generation shochu distiller in many, many years. <laughs> mm, interesting. Oh, right, right. But uh, so as that, I think that I, there are some ideas of coming out with some unique products. And, you know, being in Maryland, one of the first things that comes to mind is to produce a rye product. Mm. 
Wow. So, so that's, that's kind of in the plans. Right. That sounds very terroir-driven, delicious <laughs> shochu. Right. Right. Wow. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Well, that's exciting. So please do, do keep me posted. And you can come back when the new products come out and right. new, new things come out. You can just come back and talk about it. And so where can we find your updates online and on social media? So uh, I think primarily right now, uh, our website, americanshochu.com is going to be the place to go. Um, I was doing a bit of Instagram at, again, uh, American underscore Shochu, but we're, we're regrouping how we're operating right now. So there hasn't been a lot of activity recently, but as we start on the expansion, I think that you'll see a lot of our information there also. So I, I think those two places are the best places to look for us. Okay, great. So good luck. Thanks so much. So, and thanks so much for joining us today, Takasa. Now, hopefully we'll see you soon here again. Yep, wonderful. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Right, thank you. And listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japaneeds at heritageradionetwork.org or akikokatema.com. Japaneeds is a weekly program and always available at heritageradionetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer is Kevin Chang Barnum, and thank you for listening. I will see you next week. Japanese is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.